Join the only roundtable podcast in compliance with five of the top commentators in compliance. Check out the rants and shout out at the end of each episode. Hosted by Tom Fox, the voice of compliance. Everything Compliance is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Everything Compliance is now the award-winning Everything Compliance, having won the top talk show in podcasting award by W3. In this episode, we take up pop culture in the form of television shows and how they might influence or discuss compliance. We look at Succession. We look at Ted Lasso. And Jonathan Armstrong brings us his perspective on the UK version of The Office. Shoutouts and rants follow. I know you'll enjoy this episode. A live recording of Everything Compliance. Today we have the quartet of Jonathan Armstrong, Matt Kelly, Jonathan Marks, and Jay Rosen. Today we're going to talk to you about why pop culture informs your compliance program. We're going to take a look at The Office, English version, Succession, Ted La- and Ted Lasso. Mr. Armstrong, what from The Office can te- what can The Office, English version, tell us about compliance? Yeah, thank you, Tom. I know you're all going to talk about streaming type stuff. I'm from the sort of north of England, very close to the Scottish border. We're genetically programmed to be extraordinarily mean, which means that I can't access any streaming service unless either a daughter or a daughter's boyfriend will pay for it. And so I've missed both Ted Lasso and Succession at the moment. So I'm going to talk about old school The Office free to air. I'm agnostic as to whether we talk about the UK office, which of course was more edgy, or the US office, which I often used to regard as a documentary rather than a comedy when I worked in a US law firm. But I think one lesson I'd say for compliance professionals is CEO risk. I've been giving a lot of thought to this recently. I have a theory that a number of organizations, the compliance professional's role has been made significantly more challenging, not because of what we used to call rogue actors, people in the sales team who did deals that involved bribery or corruption or whatever. But increasingly, I think a lot of corporations are suffering from the very people at the top who are doing the bad things. And I think that becomes much more significant as a result. A lot of CEOs, particularly founder CEOs, think that they're untouchable, mistakenly believe that they are the corporation when they are not, and think that they're unrevisable and ungovernable. And they have their own ways of working, which they think are entirely defensible, but aren't. One of my favorite sayings from the English office is David Brent in the English office, Michael Scott in the US office, who had this saying, if at first you don't succeed, destroy all the evidence that you even tried. And obviously, from a compliance point of view, that isn't great advice. And I think we are seeing this element of CEO risk become much more prevalent in corporate America 
corporate Europe, corporate the UK. If you look at issues around, I know succession is built in part on uh, alleged conduct at the top of the Murdoch empire. You could say that the top of the organization is more challenging than the middle or the bottom. You can think of Elon Musk, for example. You can think of Richard Branson. You can think of Mark Zuckerberg. You can think of the tone at the top showed by Elizabeth Holmes, for example. And I think it's more damaging when the problem is at the top of the organization, partly because regulators will focus on tone at the top and leadership. And if your leadership's wrong, it's very difficult for the compliance team to backfill the bad behavior at the top. Obviously, it's more impactful on things like share price as well. And I think for compliance professionals, it sometimes needs a different skill set. Some old school compliance professionals are very good at what you might call the pupil teacher relationship, where they set out a policy and they train people on it. And that tends to be more stick than carrot. Thou shalt not pay bribes. Thou shalt not lose data. Thou shalt respect co-workers. And it's more hard, I think, for many old school compliance professionals when their program has to be more carrot up the chain rather than stick down the chain. So how do you engage your CEO? How do you engage senior management in telling them that compliance is a good thing? And there's no hard and fast answers in my view. There's no glib solution you can make. Obviously, there are the same skills in terms of education, showing what's happened to peers. Maybe the other way in which you can manage things is frame more in, the term, in terms of stock price, because, of course, a lot of these executives are heavily, their, their compensation, their take is heavily linked to the performance of the corporation's stock price. And as I say, I haven't got any real answers, but I think maybe the office tells us some of the issues, some of the problems that we have with rogue bosses who think off the hoof, think of bright ideas, then expect the rest of the organization to backfill. But I just thought it might be at least helpful to illustrate the problem, even if we don't have instant solutions. Matt, do you have a question or comment for Jonathan? I have a bit of a comment. And so I will first confess that I was never a huge fan of The Office. I occasionally watched the American version. I know of the British version, never really saw any of it. But I was always more interested in, from a compliance officer's perspective, the American character, Dwight Schrute, who tries to be <laughs> the assistant manager, actually his title is, I think, is assistant, assistant manager. manager. But yeah. he always comes off as this very by-the-book, uncompromising, humorless sort who sticks by the rules. And there's a certain spoof of compliance officers in there that I was always fascinated by, that he really, I occasionally will do compliance memes featuring Dwight. They're always fairly popular. And he just shows the, the a foolish consistency as the hobgoblin of little minds. And he represents that. And I was just curious 
do they have his character over there on the British version too, or do they have somebody else who shows how you can be too serious and humorless about compliance and it just looks ridiculous? Yeah, they do. And the, if you're interested, the office was obviously originated by Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant. And Stephen Merchant, I think, came on to do some sitcoms in the US, which we don't have over here. And originally that character, the Dwight Schrute character, was Stephen Merchant. And as I understand it, Stephen Merchant decided in pre-production that he didn't think he was cut out to be an actor. And it, I believe he said that he thought he was too tall to be an actor and it would mess up the camera angles and he would look awkward. So they hired somebody who looked somewhat similar to be that character, Mackenzie Crook, who then is in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, I think. So yeah, they do have that character. And it's almost a more exaggerated version of Dwight Schrute, if that could be the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, a, a similar character and somebody who's a stickler to the rules and is, yeah, assistant to the regional manager in the English version as well. Jonathan Marks, I'm going to ask you to weigh in because what I heard was the fraud Pentagon, but what I heard was the fraud Pentagon permeating, permeating rather, an entire organization. If the senior manager, the CEO, the founder really has all of those attributes that you've identified, can that infect an entire organization? I think it cuts both ways. If you look at the greatest CEOs out there, they're, they have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. And they have they have egos and all those kind of good stuff. But this is where we could talk about this later, but this is how power corrupts. And when you start to talk about, if you break down the character attributes of the folks that are very successful, many of them have the same attributes of the fraud parrot Pentagon. They're extremely competent. They're a little bit arrogant. Like I said, they have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, but I think those are some of the things that if they're not kept in check could at some point force them to cross over to the dark side. But it's, it's, it's an interesting discussion. All right. Mr. Rosen has raised his hand. Jonathan, I think I read somewhere, Jonathan Armstrong, I think I read somewhere online recently that they're doing a reboot of The Office and it's going to be from a female perspective. Do you have any thoughts on how that might change the lessons or do you think stupid is as stupid does whether they're male or female it's interesting isn't it one of the certainly in the english office less so in the u.s office but there were elements of it part of the worry was that whole creepiness thing about the behavior of the uh, office manager and blurring the line between uh, what employees were there for let's just say and and obviously the same allegations have been made against some of the people on that short list that i read out as well would it be as creepy if it's all female i I think there's maybe an element of that would be lost but i think it's still i should think still the, the concept stands on its own two feet i suspect all of us have experienced crazy behaviors in the workplace and that's not exclusively a male preserve is it thanks on that note (laughs) kelly what do you have for us about ted i yes i am here to talk about ted lasso but first just about this whole subject generally of compliance in tv i just wanted to call out that so five years ago 
I wrote what I think is still the most popular radical compliance post ever, where I listed compliance TV shows that featured corporate compliance or corporate misconduct, posted it on LinkedIn, wildly popular. We can talk about third-party risk management, FCPA enforcement for days and be brilliant, but I just popped up something on LinkedIn. Hey, let's look at compliance on TV. It got 60,000 views in two days. I have a long list of shows that reference corporate behavior and misbehavior going all the way back to, I think, the early 90s, and it's all around the world. I'll try and, Tom, send that link to you in the show notes, but this is a long and rich history of corporate weirdness, corporate illegality, corporate misconduct throughout movies and TV. And uh, it was five years ago I wrote it. I should probably do a refresh. But I would put Ted Lasso on that refresh. And here's why. So for those who have not watched the show, its general premise is American football coach Ted Lasso, played by Jason Sudeikis, transplanted to run a British soccer team where he has really no idea of what he is doing with soccer, but his whole shtick is that he is this very peppy, upbeat coach who wants to help people improve. And it really, over the course of three seasons, and it just wrapped up, and Sudeikis and the other stars and the showrunners and whatnot have said this is probably the end. They have not definitively said there will be no season four, but they have pretty much said we have no interest in doing it which is a shame because it is a fantastic show. But the whole point is that the coach, Ted Lasso, slowly but surely wins over his boss, the team owner. Her name is Rebecca. I forget Rebecca's last name, but played by Heather Waddington, who is a fantastic actress, wins over the team, who, of course, can right away see that this guy has no idea what he's doing, except he knows how to coach, how to help people. And it's all about how to win over this very cynical, very counterproductive, uncooperative team that totally stinks. And by the end of the third season, they are at the brink of greatness. And the part that captured what I thought the most, what captured all of this, was there is a journalist following the team, embedded, writing a book about Ted Lasso's approach to management and coaching. And Ted has adopted this approach, total football, where all players may be assigned to play any position at any moment, but one particular player is the nerve center who will then give the ball to whomever deserves it to be able to take the shot. And one of the subplots is that nerve center player, Jamie Tart, started off in season one as a total spoiled brat. Now he is the selfless guy who has given up scoring goals, but he's running away with assists. And of course, once they figure out this total football approach, they zoom up in the standings. Isn't everything great? So back to the journalist. He runs up to the Ted Lasso after another victory. And he says, Ted, the Ted Lasso way is going to work because it's not something you just implemented last week. It is something that you have done over the course of three years with thousands of imperceptible changes to culture to build this mutual uh, feeling of trust among everybody. And that really is the goal. Where I have the exact phrase, I think it's worth calling out. You've done this over three seasons. We're slowly but surely building a club-wide culture of trust and support through thousands of imperceptible moments, all leads to the inevitable conclusion, total football. If you take that idea and transplant it into corporate culture, where you build up a corporate culture of trust over time with thousands of 
imperceptible moments, all feeding up to the managers, trust the employees, trust the managers, and we're all focusing on one big goal, but the goal is what matters, not personal progress, not personal success, not hitting the quota, just achieving the goal in the right way. There isn't a CEO in the world who would say, no, that's a terrible idea. That's a terrible philosophy. They would all say that's exactly what we want. And anybody who's in ethics and compliance would all say that's exactly what we want. And I thought about that a lot. I have written before about how in military strategy, stumbled on the same idea decades ago, where they said military success is all about the senior executives defining the broad goals, defining the organizational culture of what is acceptable for the troops to do, and then trusting the junior officers to be able to go forth and do it. If you don't have the mutual trust, if you don't have the faith that mid-level and lower-level employees will speak back up to senior executives to say, this isn't working, then you're not going to win the war. <clears throat> you're not going to achieve your business plan. You're not going to achieve the battle on the soccer field. It's all the same. Do watch Ted Lasso. It's only three seasons. I think they have a total of 34 episodes. Most of them are about a half hour until they blew it out this season where they're more running about an hour. But you can watch it all over a couple of weeks. And you'll know the moment I'm talking about once you get to season three, about midway through it, where suddenly the journalist rushes in, basically tells the audience what Ted has been doing all along. He's been lifting up other people to make them better successes so they can have more corporate trust and succeed. And that is what they do. It's a fantastic show. Matt, at the very end of the last episode, when Trent Krim has delivered the draft of his book to Ted and Coach for their review and comments, we see the one comment Ted Lasso made, which was suggesting a change in the title from the Ted Lasso way to the Richmond way. Is that completely consistent with your analysis around trust? It, it is. So Richmond is the name of the team, the Richmond Greyhounds. And the book was originally going to be called The Lasso Way. And so Ted Lasso scraped that out and said, it's not about me, change the title. And so the journalist, when he finally publishes his book, it's published as The Richmond Way. And that gets to this other big theory in leadership and management that was first expressed by Jim Collins, one of those big thinker guru managers. He wrote Good to Great many years ago, where he studied how companies that had been chugging along very successfully for a long time suddenly became super great. Why then? And he did say that the key thing is what he called a level five leader, the leaders who are at the top of organizational excellence. And it's all about their selflessness and humility. They are very much driven by a desire to succeed. They very much have big, ambitious plans, but it is not about them. It is about the success of the organization. So a level five leader absolutely would say, look, I'm not the star. I'm just the one who leads all the troops. They are the stars. And that's really what Ted Lasso was getting at when he suggested the title change. A good example of this in the real world might be somebody like Richard Branson, who I think he's famous for saying, I'm not supposed to be the smartest person in the room. I'm supposed to hire the smartest people around and then ask them what to do. And then I tell everybody else, this is why we should do it. And Richard Branson is a very rich and successful man. I'm hoping I'm getting that right. It might've also been Steve Jobs who said that, I'm not sure. But one of the two of them said it, both of them have proven that is a worthwhile way to get things going. 
so it's right up the alley with that focus on culture and success and the whole group, not on any particular person. Mr. Rosen. I'm just chock full of questions this morning. So Matt, you come from a town that has a sports tradition about trying to analyze everything and lift people up. There was a book written after the first few Super Bowl victories by the Patriots called The Patriots Way. I'm not sure if it's the Michael Hawley book, but now that we've seen, we can see the Tom Brady era in our rearview mirror. Do we think that there is a Patriots way or is the Patriots way just to do everything you can to get an advantage and get sued for $50,000 for having illegal OTAs during the off season? That is an excellent question. Let me try to avoid it as deftly as possible by saying, I think a better example of a terrible culture would actually come from the Red Sox before they won the World Series in 2004 for the first time in nearly 100 years. There was this famous, like the people forget that the Red Sox in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, they sucked. They were highly dysfunctional. And this famous sort of quote from somebody that there were, I think, 22 or 23 people on the roster. And every night they took 22 or 23 cabs back from the game to wherever they were going. They hated each other. They couldn't stand each other. And it was only in 2004 when Theo Epstein finally showed up and they finally rejiggered the lineup and the leadership that they really started to gel together. And then look what happened. Finally, at long last, They won the World Series in 2004, stunning everybody, including me. And then they've won multiple World Series since then. But I think the better example of it is to look at their dysfunction, which lasted for many years, which was legendary and deep and widespread. That's the sort of thing that if you want to see how could we screw this up, go look at the Red Sox back then. They could screw it up that way. You could probably look at the Patriots back in the 80s and 90s, too. I think there's a lot of negative examples, counterexamples out there from sports as to what Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are doing. Since on a personal note, I think both of them are a bit insufferable, as brilliant as they might be. I will just leave that unanswered. Great. Thanks. All right. On to Mr. Marks and succession. Yeah, I think I just mentioned this, but this is a show. It's a very interesting show, but I think it's about how power generally corrupts. Almost every character in the show, with the possible exception of Kendall's kids and the pet bunny, have been changed for the worse because of this this toxicity or this prox- proximity of power. And you asked me to talk about Shiv, which was the daughter. There are two boys and a daughter. There are three kids. And so Shiv has changed to, for me the most because of that particular, of the power that I talked about. She is most seduced by her father, who is this big, huge magnet, this powerful man. She's seduced, I believe, most by the fact that there's going to be an open CEO seat. And she she's pretty ruthless in her fight for it. And, and she's very protective and she's very clever. And she's gravitated, her role has gravitated over the seasons. But Ultimately, Shiv's turn to the dark side is sealed when she attempts to talk to a, a former Waystar employee, and that was what the company was called, Waystar Royco employee, and a victim of sexual assault out of testifying to Congress. And a similar incident occurs in season three when she gaslights her interim CEO, who was the general counsel, that was Jerry, into potentially reporting her brother Roman for sending inappropriate 
but not entirely unwelcoming explicit photos. So in both instances, Shiv claims she's protecting women, but she's really protecting herself. And most importantly, the CEO seat that she craves. Shiv, to me, is, is irrefutably as evil as Logan Roy, which is her father. But now she's turned into sort of this amateur manipulator who thinks she's a master at it. Her, transfer date, her transformation is even evident in her, if you watch the show, in her, the way she styles herself, which is, from a casting and a wardrobe perspective, brilliant. In the first season, in the first season if you notice, she's very soft. She has wavy hair. She's girly and then and wears loose clothes. And, but as the seasons go on, she's now got a short, sharp haircut and her tailored suits come into play. So she's trying to get into that 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 power that that CEO sort of mentality to it's it's a very interesting show but again going back to all of this i think it's really a lesson about how power can corrupt individuals which is something that i know that Jonathan you were talking about moments ago so any questions or comments for mr marks so if we look at the analog that's happening now with the fox just blowing itself up and having gotten into the situation where they have excessive lawsuits. Is that power that's corrupting or is that profits that's corrupting, Jonathan? I think they're interconnected. You know, well, what's that, what's that Spider-Man saying with great power comes great responsibility? I think what Spider-Man doesn't say is with great power comes great responsibility and I'm going to make a boatload of money. I think if, Spider-Man wasn't Spider-Man and he was in a pinstripe suit walking down Wall Street, that might be something that he could say. So I do think that they're all interconnected. Thanks. Mr. Rosen, why does America need Ted Lasso? Thank you. We know from what Matt told us that the first season premiered on Apple TV in August 2020. And then due to the pandemic, it took a while to get the second season out in July of 2021. And we're just basking now in season three. And I think what I'm excited about is Jason Sudeikis and his group of writers are going out on their terms. And I think that these, this three-season arc has been perfect. And what I just wanted to pull out are just a few reasons why that I think the show is appropriate for us this time where we are in our country and as human beings. So... First of all, I think Ted Lasso combines all of our favorite shows. It's part Cheers, it's part Friends, it's part Happy Days, if you remember that series. I guess I'm dating myself. But it has sports, romance, friendship, so everyone watching can find themes they like in it. First off, Ted is a truly likable character. We just spoke about Michael Scott in The Office, and sure, you like him overall, but we've said he has these creepy moments. Ted is always delightful. In terms of the characters, they feel very real. The appeal of Ted Lasso is that the characters come from the real world and have stories to tell. It's a show entirely of main characters. No single character goes without having their moment in the sun. Friendships are heartwarming. From Rebecca and Keeley to Ted and Coach Beard, the friendships these complex characters have built on TV are honest and inspiring. And they reflect real relationships who have their own lives. 
And so they're people that are comforting for us to watch. There's an example of all of us trying our best. The show is encouraging because just about, it's not just about a bunch of people doing the very best. Is that always enough? No, but it's definitely the thought that counts. Ted Lasso doesn't focus on what the world is focused on. In our real lives, we're confronted by troubling news about lockdowns and health issues and lawsuits, but that's not happening in Ted Lasso. And while many shows did choose to include the events of the early 2020s, this one didn't, making it a welcome break from the sad news of the past two years. Ted is the eternal optimist. It's really hard to be positive in the face of struggles, but Ted Lasso does it every day. And while it's okay to feel down at times, this character is a great example of the power of optimism. The show tackles mental health issues. Just because Ted has a seemingly unending amount of optimism doesn't mean he never has off days. The series is a great job showing him going to therapy and learning to be open and more vulnerable. The show proves that kindness is out there. For the past two years, it's been especially challenging on the kindness front. We've been fighting among ourselves over everything from politics to court decisions, but it's easy to lose sight of the fact that we're all in this together, and Ted helps us a little bit. Every step of the way, Ted Lasso proves to be comforting and entertaining, and somehow both a distraction and a reminder that kindness is out there. The dialogue is uplifting. There have been so many great quotes that come out of the show that are not relevant only in TV dialogue, but in our lives. Especially love Ted's line, be curious, but not judgmental. Technically, it was him quoting someone else, but it's such an important sentiment, sentiment to remember. It's one of a dozen similar lines from the show that prior, prioritize love, kindness, and positivity. The show is comforting like an Afghan. One of the biggest critiques of the show is that it can feel at times a bit predictable. That it's actually one of the reasons why we love it. It's comforting because it doesn't have the crazy cliffhangers or dramatic twists. There's obviously room for that on TV, but sometimes it's just nice to feel soothed by a show. No one is the victim of a joke. Ted is an American character in the UK, and it would be easy to make all kinds of across-the-pond, fish-out-of-water jokes at his expense or a British character's expense, but that's not what happens. It feels like every character is valued by the writing staff and they are able to tell their story, whether they're British or American. The show is not sappy. There's a delicate line between sweet and sappy, and Ted Lasso never fa falls on the sappy side. The show is filled to the brim with optimism and kindness, but never in a way that feels over the top. And finally, it demonstrates the power of togetherness. It's not hard for a TV show about a sports team to be about the power of togetherness, but Ted Lasso radiates that message both on and off the field. What the world needs now more than ever is for us to stop fighting and to come together and be there for one another. And that is the ultimate lesson that Ted Lasso teaches us all. Hey, hey. Jay. Yes. Did the show end on the right note from a screenwriter's perspective? Sometimes the, you go all the way back like to animal house, right? And you see the end of it and, this is who turned out to be a lawyer. This is Senator Blutarski. So sometimes I think that's an easy way out because you're just tying things together too nicely with a bow. But I think this one works for me. It's not too saccharine. 
and it shows you the logical conclusion of where these characters could go. And I think the door is still open up, you know, that maybe Roy gets a spinoff, oi, or something happens. But I just love the fact with them going out on top in their own terms, they're Butch and Sundance and they're riding off over the cliff and it's, they left us some nice memories. I'm going to say a few words about Succession uh, because I thought this was one of the best serial streaming TV series ever. I thought the acting literally blew me away, sometimes almost week to week. The third episode of the fourth season where Logan Roy dies, I thought was the greatest one hour of television I had ever seen. It felt like I was in a theater watching great actors from about 15 feet away from the stage. And it just was incredible. The intensity, the screenwriting was some of the best I have ever seen. I fell in love with the wardrobe and costumes. Jonathan Marks mentioned that. I thought it was just great cinematography, tracking shots, which are my personal favorite, were used throughout the entire four seasons. But I want to focus on three things that I thought were themes for me during the entire series from the compliance perspective. And then one pop psychology, which is broken kids become broken people. And we saw that play out. But number one, when Logan tells Shiv at some point, I think it was season two, maybe season three, she said, where's the line, dad? Or where's the line pop? And he said, the line's always moving. Now for him, that was the line of what to do. And he, he didn't have ethical or moral flexibility. He had none. But I thought it was a great way to think about the role of a CO. And there's always something. There's a new dynamic. In one of the most prescient comments I heard coming out of the pandemic was we've moved from disaster recovery to business resiliency to business as usual. We are in a business as usual atmosphere now. And I'm going to use the word atmosphere because if you're in Boston, if you're in New York, if you're in Philadelphia, or you're in Washington, you're thinking about the atmosphere right now. Why? Because of wildfires in Canada. Why? Because of climate change. It's all related, and you are expected to do business as usual. So the line's always moving. The second thing, background investigation, or for our pet phrase, due diligence. If you look back, you see every decision was presaged by some component of someone's actions. Backgrounds do matter. Leopards don't change their spots. The decision... Roman made to have the conservative candidate declared the winner in season four, where there had been no winner and it was an open question, was exactly who he was at that moment in time. But we had seen him engage in behavior, which clearly led to that. The same with Kendall, when he has his breakdown in the last episode, physically attacks his brother for basically saying, your children's were someone else's. And of course, Matson and Gojo with the numbers in India. Yeah, the numbers worked if there were two Indias. Just because you're being acquired doesn't mean you shouldn't do due diligence. So due diligence. And then three, Karen Woody and I did an incredibly fun podcast series on her podcast, The Woody Report. 
and we went through and detailed all of the SEC violations. And there were pretty much some every episode. The show was a walking catalog of SEC violations. And it was fun to see that played out for many of the reasons that Jonathan Marks talked about and indeed Jay and Matt and Jonathan Armstrong talked about in the office in Ted Lasso. So I thought there were some great compliance officer lessons. I thought this was as great a television as I had ever seen. Cinematography, wardrobe, acting, screenwriting, it all came together in a way that unfortunately we don't see often enough. Kudos to Succession. We will move to fan favorites, shout outs, and rants. We'll keep the same order. Mr. Armstrong, do you have a shout out and or rant for us today? I do. So as people can see from our trendy wallpaper, I'm in Cordry Towers, a relatively rare trip down to London where I've been all week. And we're about a block away from the courtroom that's being used for the Prince Harry trial. And because we have at the side of our office a little bit of space, if you like, amongst the what count for high rises in the city, we've had the pleasure of having the news helicopter outside our window for two days solid. And so my shout out is to chopper pilots and particularly news chopper pilots who seem to just sit there up in the air by the looks of it without a coffee break waiting for Prince Harry to emerge from a courtroom at an unspecified time between 9.30 and 5.30. And of course, to prove by their use of constant helicopter surveillance that Harry's claims that the press are harassing him are entirely wrong. Mr. Kelly. First, having heard Jonathan's rant about the helicopter pilots, this immediately does make me wonder. So if you're there, if that's your job, how do you get a bathroom break if you're in a helicopter for eight or nine hours in a row? I'm going to have to ponder that for the rest of the day. I'm not sure I want to know the answer. I don't know whether they have two choppers because you'd think that there are flying regs as well, wouldn't you? It may be. But I have a shout out. And in sticking with our TV and pop culture theme, I'm just going to say that. So last weekend, I saw the new Spider-Man movie Across the Spider-Verse. And I have to say, this is one of the most stunning movies I have ever seen. I would recommend it to everyone. I took my young kids to see it. They loved it. They are early elementary. I am sure it would be great for teenagers, older kids. It's fantastic for adults. This movie is brilliant. There are not enough positive adjectives in the English language to describe it. Just the way that they envisioned it, the way they designed it, the plot is riveting. It will leave you spellbound at the end. It is a cliffhanger for a third one that's going to come out, I think, in March. It is clever. It is the actors who do the voicing. It's brilliant choices there. You cannot say enough about how good this movie is. And even though it is a cartoon, if this is not a contender for Best Picture Oscar next year, I don't know what would be. Everybody would enjoy it. You probably worth seeing the first one that came out five years ago. Also an excellent film. But this one is just off the charts better. It is one of the best movies I've ever seen. And I'll stop there. Mr. Marks, do you have a shout out and or rant for us? 
I have a shout out. So I'm going to sports this week. And before I get into the individual who I'm going to shout out, I think it's, I think we're seeing, at least from me, from my perspective, we're seeing some sons of baseball players that have now entered into the realm of Major League Baseball. And I can only imagine playing in on your on a Major League Baseball team, knowing that my father was either a fantastic ball player or a Hall of Famer. And so my shout out this week goes to a Philadelphia Philly by the name of Cody Clemens, whose father was Roger Clemens. Tom, that should head on to you since they're from Houston, I believe. And this kid came up the, through the Phillies and had a little bit of a tough start and has really come into his own. And last night I got to witness a little walk-off magic for the Phillies, which doesn't happen all that often, especially this season. And I give him credit. His dad was at the ball game. I think it's tough playing and trying to, to compete with that, that big of a presence. And this kid's managed to keep it together. Shout out to Cody Clemens. Jay Rosen, do you have a shout out and or rant for us? I do. And surprisingly, mine's about sports too. I just wanted to say this is one of my favorite times of the year because we have the four major sports happening. It's usually close to the June that we have with NHL and the NBA finals. We've got training camp starting and baseball's beginning its monotonous March towards September. So if, there's no, if there isn't anything that you like out there, I'm sure you can go to ESPN 39 and watch some pickleball. Or I was jonesing so bad the other night, I was watching, I think it was either Nebraska going after their third title in a row on women's softball. So here's to the time of the year. There's something out there for everyone. So enjoy your sports. I'm sorry, Jay, but that was the University of Oklahoma, and I have to make that correction for my good thank friend. You, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to give multiple shout-outs, and my shout-out starts with Richard Van de Ford at the Wall Street Journal for reporting that the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has allowed a lawsuit to go forward that risque music at work might be illegal. So... First of all, shout out to Richard Vanderfort for following my lead and reporting that rock and roll is relevant to compliance. Number one. Number two, the end of rock and roll is nigh because now courts are going to opine on whether lyrics, risque lyrics and rock and roll can be an actionable offense in the workplace. And I'll end with all those people in the 50s who said, you listen to rock and roll, it'll rot your brain. Guess what? They were right 70 years ago, and they're right today. It'll destroy your hearing, and my mother told me that. She was right about that, but it'll also rot your brain. So shout out to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals for that lawsuit go forward that says risque rock and roll at work can cause problems, and you can get money for it. Gentlemen, this has been way too much fun. We need to do some pop culture episodes more often. I look forward to seeing what we can come up with next. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Have a great weekend, everyone. See ya. 
This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning Everything Compliance. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you will subscribe, rate, and review this episode wherever great podcasts are listened to. I've linked to all of the topics we touched upon in this episode in the show notes. So if you'd like additional information, I would urge you to check out uh, the reports, articles, and press releases regarding the topics from today's podcast. The gang will be back in a couple of weeks with another episode, so I hope you'll plan to join us again. Everything Compliance is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. The Compliance Podcast Network recently won five Communicator Awards, so I hope you will check out some of the award-winning podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network, including Data-Driven Compliance, The Coming Conflict with China, Never the Same, How Business Changed Forever, from the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the night sky to eclipses coming to Kerrville, Texas. This is Tom Fox. Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to visiting with you again.
This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Everything Compliance. Have you ever thought about starting a podcast? Have you ever wondered if you could join the Compliance Podcast Network? We had some great new additions in 2022. And if you'd like to consider that or just talk to me about what it might take for you to start a podcast, I'd love to talk to you. We're always looking for new podcasts for the Compliance Podcast Network, the only network for podcasters in the compliance space. I hope you'll join us again in a couple of weeks when we have the full Everything Compliance gang back again. I'd also like to shout out to my colleague Gwen Hassan. Gwen started the Hidden Traffic podcast about human trafficking, modern slavery, and issues surrounding those imbroglios that many companies find themselves in. Gwen not only won several awards in her first year as a podcaster, but she actually had the top two podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network for 2023. So congratulations, Gwen, and keep up the great work. Everything Compliance is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.